There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Like I said, people watch my shows that know me from when I was very young and they, they, they see me riding in the police van going on a, on a drugs raid and they're like, Aaron, like, you've, you've changed. It's like, Aaron's a fed. Yeah, exactly. Aaron's a fed. That's what, that's what I hear quite a lot. Thank you so much for joining us again. This is Stop and Search and we're calling this one Gangbusters, TV reality versus reality TV part two. And you would have listened to part one already, wouldn't you? You've gone and done that. If not, go do it now. And the reason we called it that is, well, We've got amazing guests with some incredible backgrounds, very nuanced backgrounds as well. So this is Stop and Search on Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces Network, brought to you by Acast in association with Leap UK. And here we go. Behind your barricades Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades Where so what's going on then? We've got Aaron Roach Bridgman. He is a documentary filmmaker. He has done When Kids Kill, eight years old and smuggling drugs. He's got an incredible background himself and he is now an ambassador for some brilliant causes which comes up in this episode. So make sure you click the links as well because I'll be scrolling along if you're listening to this on your cast app. We've also got Danny Brooke who is a covert specialist, a surveillance specialist. She is also undercover herself at times within her career as a police officer. And now, of course, she's on Channel 4's Hunted as a hunter. So, yeah, don't mess with Danny. We've also got Peter Blexley, who is the chief, the chief on Channel 4's Hunted. He's also a former undercover officer. He's got a lot to say because he's a media pundit. And goodness knows Peter's got a lot to say in this, in a good way very much in a good way as are all the guests because they just well as you sit down to edit this i said this when we put the first episode out you never know quite what you've got on the night because you're doing it live you're making sure it's all going well looking after the audience it's only when you sit down to edit that you actually listen to the conversation yourself and as i've been doing that i've just been blown away there's just so many so many good strings of dialogue going on so without me rambling let's get straight on with this this is part two here we go. And you've seen every scale, haven't you, Peter, from that level, but also up to Mr. the Mr. the Mr. the Big. Like the real, what we'd imagine, mafia-level bosses. What is it like dealing at that level? It wasn't imagined. They, they were mafia. We took out 
members of the Mafia. In fact, it was a, a Mafia-linked organisation that um, decided to take out a contract on my life, which was discovered via an FBI phone tap in Boston. Um, so we were damaging people at the very highest echelons of organised crime criminality in relation to drugs. Um, and they were invariably very nice people to deal with. Um, you know, and when I worked undercover and I was pretending to be one of them and they were once again at the higher levels of, of, of drug supply and distribution, they were pretty nice people to deal with. I did, of course, spend a lot of time with psychotic, gun-toting, rampant, raving lunatics, which wasn't very pleasant at all, but some of the people that I met at the higher echelons were actually good fun. They had a disregard for the rules and regulations of life by which we run our lives, so they were inherent, inherently rebellious, they were fun, they liked to drink, and they were, yeah, they, they, were, they were fun. All the more reason why I would like to deny them the opportunity of their ill-gotten gains. They don't deserve it. The 14-year-olds you talk about, the 16-year-olds you talk about, let's deny them that opportunity. Let's cut off that revenue stream, and I bring you back to my PPA, Price Purity Availability. If the regulated world beats the criminals on all of that, they'll have nowhere to go. They will have nowhere to beat you on price or purity or availability. It'll have to be a 24-7 operation, but it's all doable. And your book, The Gangbuster, it goes into some really outlandish ways that people got drugs in this country, one of them being re-welding JCBs and, and, and heavy good vehicles like that. Yeah, these, these people were, were very well resourced, so they could fly out to South America to obviously all the source countries and I'm glad you've mentioned source countries because I've got my thoughts on that. I have thoughts on everything as you as you know. Um, and they would go out there and they would go to these source countries and they would come up with very inventive ways in which to smuggle the drugs into the UK. One of which was those big arms that extend out the front of JCBs. They went to the manufacturer, cut them open, stuff them with drugs, weld them back again. Nobody will ever know. We did. Um, but once again, hailed as a glittering success. Go to the commissioner's office and have a cucumber sandwich and be told how brilliant you were, right? And then go back out there and do it all the following day because somebody else is doing it now. It was such a waste of time. So I, I never get tired of that, the fact that you've got people like you and Danny that, and, and all the people in Leap, like Neil Woods, I'm sure you know, that have been on the front lines and yet you still have got these positions of, <sighs> it was just futile. It, did it ever feel like that, Danny, of just like, I just want to sign, just go home and forget this happened? Not at the time, because you're being told you're the greatest thing that's ever happened. So you, Does it work like that? that yeah, that, you that feel amount? great. You've got, you walk away and you've got that product and you're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so shit hot at this. And then, you, like Blake said, you get called up to the commissioner's office, so you're really good. And then your mum and dad get invited to the Tower of London and you get your certificate and you get your tunic out. So you're brilliant. And then, you, like Blake said, the next day you're back to square one and doing it all again. And you're like, well, that was a, that was a complete waste of my time. And then the pressure's on every time because now you're really pushing because you want to get as good as a result again because you want another sandwich. And you just it's just a vicious, vicious circle. And you'd not, 
and you are like if you look at the the arrest figures i don't know what they are but i'm quite certain having been um involved in it the people on the ground the, the young people that are getting caught um and prosecuted will far outweigh those at the top that are getting done these people at the top are businessmen they're greedy and they will do whatever they've got to do to protect themselves but no i don't care about anyone else and that's something i used to see i mean i i didn't have to thankfully have to go to the top top dog very often i was normally just on the arm of someone that's how good i was um but you, like Black said, they are, they're fun, they're smart. You would never, ever know in a million years if they were sitting in this room now, yeah, they're a drug dealer, unless you was obviously working on them. Um, and it's just a really sad state of affairs, really. I'm really interested to know what it takes to be that skilled in doing that job as well, because I can't imagine what went into the work that you did. How, how Skills as in the In dealers. what you do is in, in covert operations and surveillance and everything like that. It's just mind-blowing. You know, it's, to me, it's Orwellian, just the, the levels of work that needs to go into that to actually get any kind of lead into what's going on. She's a remarkable liar. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be one of those video quotes. <laughs> oh, God, I'm never going to let that down. I think... Um, oh, God, how do I come back from that? I think a lot of it was... I was young, as I said, when I joined. So to be told straight away, you're really good, you're really good. You always want that, don't you? Of course, everyone wants to be told they're really good. And you push yourself and push yourself. And I am quite an, an adrenaline junkie. So, and I like to think that I can push my boundaries quite a lot. Um, I don't think there's any particular skill. I think it's just I can talk a lot. <laughs> it is. It's all about lying. Don't believe a word that Danny says, right? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about lying. I was a professional liar for more than a decade, and I was very, very good at it. As long as there is dishonest, dishonesty and greed within the human race, there'll always be an avenue for undercover cops to exploit that. And that seems, does seem to be a continuity theme between all the undercovers that I know is adrenaline. You all seem to be really going for, for that buzz of in the work. Is that true? Does that come with it? 110%. Would you say that, Peter, as well? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um, it's a high-octane, testosterone-fueled, adrenaline-pumping kind of life. So is, it, is it what we see in the films, is what I'm getting at? Like Stasi can well, you're you're told straight and... away that you're part of the elite, so you oh, really? feel like the best thing ever, don't you? So if you're doing things like going to buy drugs in a nightclub like, and getting paid for it... <laughs> and this is the feedback we've got when we advertise this event, is being themed loosely around gangs, is... We got quite a lot of people tweeting us going, the police are one of the biggest gangs out there, which is something that I'd imagine was touched upon in your films and the people that you spoke to, Aaron, is that there are going to be a lot of people that do see the police as a gang and at the same level of, of I don't know, violence and, and what goes with it. Is From your position, do, would you agree that there are people that are being not persecuted? Well, yeah, you could use, use the word persecuted perhaps within this, but is there a social persecution that goes with this? Yeah, um, the the police and yeah, the force is seen as the enemy. Um, growing up, that's how I saw them as well. Um, growing up where I grew up in Northwest London, um, it was just, it's like a an inherent just hate. Even before anything, ha <clears throat> excuse me, even before anything had happened between any of the people who I was associated with and the police, as soon as you see them, it's a straight. Uh, hateful uh, vibe towards them and that's something that really hasn't changed um, like I said people watch my shows that know me from when I was very young and 
they, they, they see me riding in the police van going on a, on a drugs raid and they're like, Aaron, like, you've, you've changed. It's like, Aaron's a fed. Yeah, exactly. Aaron's a fed. That's what, that's what I hear quite a lot. And it's like, you know, they joke about it. They, they, they joke about with it, but there really is that, that, that sentiment of how could you do that kind of thing? How do you do it? And I think a relationship that we really need to work on is that relationship between um, the force and between certain communities. Because in many cases, like I say, that even before there's any reason to be hateful towards the police, that it already is there. And yes, people do call them the biggest gang. People do believe that the police are a gang. Like even myself, like growing up, uh, you know, we were accosted by, um, by, by CIDs, or as we call them, SIDs, when we were, um, when we were younger. Like, and, you know, they would run through our pockets and find our weed and throw it on the floor and step on it in front of us and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And uh, sometimes it got worse. Some people were thrown to the floor and whatever, whatever else. Um, but these are individual incidents, and I've met a lot of different people from the force, and I've had more pleasant interactions than I've had those type of interactions, but it's just about having conversations. But we don't get a chance to have those conversations between, like, say, the force and certain communities, and, and whenever there is an opportunity, it, turns, it's, it t- tends to turn into, like, an argument, or, like, shouting fest, and, you know, you know, you know don't treat, you know what I mean? It's like we need to have proper conversations and start to really create a relationship there where... I feel like that might take away some of that, um, that animosity. What do you think, Peter? Imagine a world where the police weren't enforcing a 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act. Imagine where the drugs were regulated and can be purchased from an outlet in your high street. Imagine what different kind of work the police could then do. It's true. I am sure... If they were let off the leash and they were free to say what they really thought, apart from retired likes of the mighty Neil and Danny and and myself, I am convinced that so many who are currently serving would say, we really don't want to be doing with this stuff. Criminality has moved on. So much crime has moved online, which is going to need vast resources to tackle it and all that kind of thing. They've got murders, they've got child sexual exploitation, they've got enough on their plate. They probably really don't want to be dealing with a 14-year-old who's got a £10 bag in his pocket. We're going to be going for questions fairly soon, so make sure you get some queued up, because there's always been that nightmare moment I've had once since we've been doing these events where I go, right, questions, and then everybody's deadly silent, and then you see a tumbleweed go across there, so make sure, please, even if it's something stupid like favourite colour or book or something please have a question just quickly going back to what you said about um the gang side of things i'm not not, not badly mouthing the officers that arrested me i was on a covert op and got arrested for possession with intent to supply because i just scored and they raided the pub and hadn't done the checks to see if there was a covert op running and there was and i was in there everyone else in the pub threw it in the air so it looked like it was snowing apart from me because mine was evident and i was scared (laughs) and they arrested me and they high-fived each other on the way out. Now, there was a pub full of people. This was a planned operation, and they got one arrest. And they were high-fiving. And the one person they arrested was me, so it didn't even count. <laughs> but that was a complete gang. Yes, we got one. It's been a result, because we've got her, and it's peewit, so it's really good. And it's only when, obviously, I got back to the station and was strip-searched, um, and they found my wire. They were like, shit. But I did get a case of champagne out of the, the sergeant, because she was a bit rough. <laughs> I think that's one of the best stories we had. Round of applause. <laughs> but, but there is some truth in that, though, because um, 
like I remember as well, like a lot, a lot of situations where there will be officers that would even tell certain members of the area that I was from, all right, we're going to get you though. There was all that kind of like, it was almost like this, it was almost like the same kind of a conflict you would have between, I guess, two opposing areas. There, there, there was always that element with a lot, oh, well, now we're going to get you though. Yeah, you keep laughing, but we'll get you, like we're on you. And, and, and there was like a, a lot of threat, threats made by, by, by um, those members of the, of the force who were known to the air because they, they, would, they would patrol our areas regularly so they know who everybody was. And there was that element of kind of like a, almost like a competition. All right, you, you, we, we haven't found any, anything on you this time, but we will find something you next time and we're going to get you. And that was something that almost created like a, like a cat and mouse thing. It's like, okay, we're going to try and avoid them at any, at, any, at any chance that we can. And then also it creates that, that dynamic of, well, they're all like that. We have to avoid all of them because they're all out to get us which isn't always the case. In some cases, there's been situations that I've been where the police could have helped us. Like, I've nearly lost my life in, on numerous occasions, like just, just growing up and being involved in certain crazy situations. And there's times when maybe the police could have really have been of, of assistance, but you would never call them. You'd never call the police. Never. So that's fascinating, isn't it? The fact that you can't rely on that level of protection that we're all supposed to be afforded because of where your social place is. That's just... And then this is something that you've touched upon as well, Peter, the, uh, the competitive nature of drug laws it goes on in the force as well doesn't it you've got customs that are competitive with the police force this is something you touch upon in gangbusters i'm going to be like a politician now and completely ignore your question <laughs> right how, how long is q a uh, it depends on these lot right okay because before we leave this evening i would just really really like to give my brief kind of snapshot as to how the regulated world the, the drug-regulated world would work, if I may. It will require intergovernmental agreements, of course, okay? We're not a producer country. Well, we didn't used to be, but we are now, aren't we? Because so many people grow cannabis in their lofts, wheresoever they grow it, and, of course, companies grow it and export it. Right, so we can have artificial environments within which to grow cannabis, Right, but our climate isn't suited to growing the coca leaf from which, of course, cocaine is made. It's not conducive to growing opium poppies from which heroin is derived. So we are going to need to have intergovernmental arrangements with those countries. A kilo of cocaine in a factory in the jungle of Bolivia costs 375 quid at the gate, right, when you buy it. By the time it gets to the UK, there'll be better informed people here than me. I think it's 25, 30 grand, right? Because at every stage of the transportation process, people add a levy for the risk they take and the resources they have to apply. So what do we do? We go to Bolivia, Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, and we buy the coca leaves from the farmers in a fair trade kind of arrangement, government to government. The government will subcontract it out obviously, to some kind of um, enormous kind of conglomerate medical kind of GSK or somebody similar, right? Okay, we'll have to deal with it. It's a price we'll have to pay for regulation. So then what happens is dried coca leaves, for which we've paid a fair trade price at the farm gate, which has lifted that Peruvian, Bolivian, Colombian farmer out of poverty so that his children can get an education... Those dried coca leaves are then shipped to the UK. Do we need customs boats to shadow them? Do we need the Royal Navy to shadow those boats? No, because essentially they're virtually worthless coca leaves, 
right? There'll be no point in high treason on the seas for a tanker load of, of coca leaves. It doesn't equate to that much in value. If it does, we'll put armed guards on the boats in any event. There'll still be lots of money left, profit to be made. So then those coca leaves get transported to the UK. They then go to a production plant, which is far more regulated, licensed, and I would like to think a cleaner type of operation than it is out in the, in the hidden jungles of South America. So that's my vision for that kind of process. It then goes into the factories where the cocaine is made and it then gets sold through the licensed retail outlets. Same for the heroin. Pills, right? They're not made in some kind of unofficial lab. They are made in properly regulated, licensed laboratories where the, where the content of them is strictly regulated. And so then when you go and buy it on a Friday or a Saturday night and you're going to go clubbing with however many pills you want to buy, you know what's in it, you get the advice on how to take it, it is shown to the medics as you go into the nightclub, they know what's being consumed. It's a safer, safer world. This, these, these countless unnecessary teenage deaths through ignorance of what they're taking will largely become a thing of the past. Thanks for letting me say that. Just quickly, what Blake okay, said there about the what it's cut with. Like when you get the lab results back and you see what's actually the content of these drugs, it's actually horrific what people are putting in their bodies. And I think that, I mean, that's a whole other subject, anyone. We could be here for three days talking about that. But it's really, really, like people just don't understand the dangers that, of it. Like it's terrible, isn't it? It used to be that it'd be cut with a little bit of hay fever tablet, but now you're getting like actual chemicals in there that are more harmful than the original drug. So that's just another little so, thing to take into consideration. This is something that we're going to be addressing because we're friends with The Loop that do yeah. the drug testing and uh, we're setting up a podcast with them to oh, make cool. sure we have, have this discussion because you're absolutely right. Some of the yeah. cutting agents are ridiculous. Um, and also, the same you touched upon, Peter, as well, the, the fair trade aspect of this. This is something we touched upon in a previous podcast here with uh, Tom Wainwright from The Economist where we did Narconomics. So what's going on at farm level and how it affects us here and the overlaps and everything like that. So a quick few boasts and a quick few sort of plugs there. Um, but have we got questions? Is there going to be a hand in the air, please? Yes. We've got two, three. Well done. All right, let's start at the back and work forward. All right, can I ask your name as well? My name is Keith, um, and this is to um, Peter, but I'd like to um, uh, everyone to, to perhaps chip in. You've obviously got a, a strong vision of the, the future and the way uh, police's priorities could be could be uh, uh, be- better, you know, put in better uh, better places um, if they didn't have to enforce the, the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act. Um, what 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 would you what would be your vision for uh, you know in, in, a, in a kind of utopian world? Where where would you like to see police? Uh, um, Priorities are those freed up police priorities put? You know, is it is it is it sort of going back to grassroots? Uh, you know, is there are there other uh, are there other areas where you think the think the police could could change the way they they work as an agency and enforce? And that's obviously um, yeah, to your views to all of you as well. Great question, Keith. So many criminals are now moving online. Okay, those that are put out of a job by the regulation of drugs will invariably move online. There is a, a far greater amount of crime committed there now than there ever was. Be, was So there will be a need for resources to be deployed there. 
I think it won't quite be a utopia, but it'll be a lot better than what we've got. And consequently, I would like to see the reinvention of things which we've lost, which is neighbourhood policing, about which I'm passionate and sadly resources have been stripped away from that in recent years. So online, neighbourhood policing, and then into the more the crimes that we know more about that we previously didn't, like child sexual exploitation, human trafficking, etc. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You've got a view, Dammy, because you seem to be shaking, nodding your head. Like a dog. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. Everything's moving online, including drug dealing. There's a, um, a really good documentary where a guy was basically on the dark net and he was selling these drugs. Or he had, he had like a pool of people. So it was the whole of the US. But the, they would go to him. He would then deploy whoever was nearest to the, the um, person requiring the drugs. And he made like he just got greedy. It was a very clever plan he had. He was a great businessman, an academic. Just got greedy, and that's the only reason he got caught. So we need more officers to become tech savvy and cyber savvy because we're not. We're not none of us. We're just really good at using our own intelligence systems, and we don't actually look outside of that. That and like Blake said, I think we have a huge problem with like paedophilia and child sex offences. And having worked on that quite a lot in my career, I think we really need to start looking at that and actually. The other day I saw a guy got a suspended sentence for, which just baffles me, for um, indecent images of children. Like, what is going on? But they'll put someone in prison who's been caught with a little tiny bag of heroin and they'll chuck them in for a couple of a month. Like, and they'll keep them on remand, so that's keep, like, clogging up the court system. And we'll put them away for a month because they've had a little bit of personal. But he gets a suspended sentence. Like, I might be wrong, but I don't think so. Aaron as well, do you think that community policing can have a better effect on the way that the relationships between the police and, and 
you know, all sorts of vulnerable demographics are, are policed. Um, I want to say yes. You want to? <laughs> I want to but... say yes, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still... I don't know. I don't know. What if we took drugs out of the equation? How would that alter the relationship between the popo and the youth? <laughs> Had the word popo. Just to show how hip and down with the kids I am, right? Um, do you know what? I'm still undecided. Like, I see there's a lot of plausibility and a lot of feasibility in, in, the, um, in the regulating of, of drugs. But I'm not sure. I'm not 100%, I'm not 100% sold on whether it will be a great enough deterrent to, to stop what we see happening in terms of uh, the criminality and violence that's associated with it in certain communities. I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on it yet. Um, I think maybe I need to see something of more of a model of, of, of possibility of what it would look like before I could um, find complete agreement with it. But I do definitely see feasibility and plausibility in what you're saying in terms of doing it. Um, it's hard, it's hard. Um, I, I think it's of pivotal importance that we do um, have more of a, a, a relation or more of a, of a, of a relationship between um, you know, policing and these communities that have a lot of these issues. But how to go about it is, is still something that plagues me in terms of coming up with a, a, a proper solution or a viable solution to, to, to achieving that. It's so transgressional, isn't it? It's still, we've, we've yet to reach that point, so we need to discuss that. I think we had a question over here, didn't we? Uh, hi, my name's uh, Kobe. Uh, the chap behind me kind of asked my question, so I have to quickly come up with a second one. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's all right, it's all right. Um, so it's not going to be Theresa May, because she's there at the, at the dispatches kind of saying we need to up the war on drugs. Um, if there was someone in power in politics who was forward thinking, what would it take, what would it, what stopping them actually pulling the trigger and saying let's legalise these things and then what would be the benefit of the, you know, the additional tax um, income that, and this is to, to everyone I guess. Um, May I? Of course you can. What is stopping? How, how can I stop you? What, <laughs> what is stopping that politician is uninformed public opinion which is so entrenched and is against regulation because it's afraid of it and it hasn't been properly, properly informed and hasn't worked out the arguments. As for the billions of pounds that will be raised through regulated drug sale, and I'm talking billions upon billions of pounds, in my world, a lot of that will be spent on primary, yes, primary school education, to educate children about drugs, because whilst they will become more available to them, I would still like them to take them less. So primary school education, my youngest, who are 15 and 16, had smoking educated out of them in primary school. We can do the same with drugs. I'm convinced of that. Because the numbers in our prisons will decrease, I think there will then be enough money and resources to make prison not just a place of punishment, but a place of what it really should be, which is rehabilitation. So we can rehabilitate people. We can educate them. We can train them both vocationally, for example, so they leave there with a trade. We are going to have a generation denied the opportunity to become drug dealers. They will need to be led down a different path. So that's where my money will go, education, training, etc.
and Danny and Aaron, what do you think the chances are at political level and social level of reform and what is holding it back? We always say that we're probably going to go for a bottom-up approach here, that we're going to have to set the scene, which is why we do things like this, to get people involved before it trickles to uh, politicians. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think we can go for a bottom-up or do you think top-down is actually possible? If I'm honest, I don't know. I, the way things are going at the minute across the UK, I don't actually know. I think you're right, though. I think it will... My guess would be it would go that way, um, which is quite sad. Um, but, like Bleck said, it will happen. It's just when and how, and I don't have the answers to that. Aaron, what do you think the, the mood is amongst where you frequent? Do you think that there is going to be a mood to actually take this by the horns and go, right, we need to sort this out now? What do you mean, elaborate? What do you mean, Mike? In, do you think that the conversations are taking part right now that the, the voters of tomorrow are going to start having more of an influence on the policies that are affecting them? Definitely. Um, uh, I'm an ambassador for a, a, a youth platform that um, connects uh, younger people with politics. And um, <laughs> some of these kids are, are very, very well informed, very, very politically engaged as well. And I think you know, they're fighting to get the, um, the vote lower as well. Um, they, they really want to be involved in shaping their futures, especially after seeing what happened with um, Brexit, where a lot of people feel like a decision has been made that's going to affect their lives um, by people who may not live through the time that it will be in effect. Um, there's a lot of them that feel frustrated by that. Um, I feel like, yes, it is. I, I've even had conversations. There's a lot of young people that think that it will get regulated. A lot of young people feel that the drug trade will, like, will be regulated and will become legalised. A lot of them see it as something that is actually going to happen. It's just a matter of when. So, yeah, definitely. It is something that I... Not all, but some of the young, younger generation that I've interacted with are very much um, in the forefront of having conversations about and actually concerned about, yeah. That SBTV that you were speaking about? No, it's, um, they're called Shout Out UK. Cool. Um, and they're like, a, they're like the leading um, platform in the UK for connecting younger people with politics. Um, I'll, I'll link that all in so that yeah, it yeah. scrolls up at the bottom That's of the cool. podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. So in, in addition to my previous question, how much do you think um, politicians feel they're beholden to try and get re-elected? How much of, a, of that is a barrier to them making uh, important reform changes that could affect drugs and I guess prostitution could be something that could be seen in the same kind of light of how to regulate things properly. If you, if you represent a constituency where your majority feel that they are not affected by drugs because they live in the comfort of their suburbia, their picturesque countryside, the comfort of their semi-detached lives and they feel that drugs don't affect them, then you are not going to do something which is going to terrify your majority and suddenly stand up and say, we need reform. But maybe in a generation's time, as those lives untouched by drugs increasingly become touched by drugs, then maybe, just maybe, we will start to see a groundswell of opinion for change. Indeed. Very true. Yeah, Portugal is a good example. Bottom up, it was, you know, the, the social movements took the, took the ball by the horns and sorted it out. Um, have we got one more question? You know, over here, Penny. How's it going? Okay. Hello, I'm Penny Fitzlion. I have multiple sclerosis. I, for three years, from the doctors, 
was getting different opiates. To say they stole a lot and made me more incapable is an understatement. I have discovered cannabis makes it so I can move around. I can talk without slurring. The whole of the medical cannabis market includes the recreational users and growers. Without them, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Yet they're tired with the same brush. Why? When they are doing so much good. Because of a piece of, of legislation that was enacted in 1971, <laughs> the same year that that much-lauded former President of the United States, Richard Nixon, declared drugs public enemy number one. And so the war on drugs began. And this goes back to a point I made about the grey markets, how not everybody that sells drugs is this big villain that we think them to be, is there? I mean, you've had experience with that, Aaron, in your films, is that you've met fairly normal people that, that do this as a matter of course to actually make ends meet. Yeah, one of them um, even said to me that um, his main goal was to, uh, to go to university and study. Um, and I remember there was a moment when we were filming where everybody kind of in the rooms kind of went like, was kind of thrown by that. But it just shows you um, it's all different types of people. Some people do it, as you say, to subsidize whatever they're making in a job. Some people are doing it with a certain aim in mind. Um, there's all different types of people that are doing it. And um, yeah, I am kind of with you, Peter. I, I am kind of with you. I kind of do see where uh, a fully regulated um, drug industry could actually work. But I guess it's, the proof is in the pudding. I've seen it in action will be... Uh, the biggest, um, the biggest, biggest, the, the biggest proof, I guess, the biggest proof um, of, of, of whether it will work or not. Uh, I am kind of getting more with you, though, Pierre, as the night goes on. I'm not going to lie. You are, you are bringing me in a little bit. And it's only 25 past eight. <laughs> so we, if you noticed, Aaron's actually wearing the leap badge there, which looks absolutely, I think it's never looked better, that badge. I like, <laughs> honestly, I <think. laughs> So we're going to have a quick wrap up now. So a closing sentence from each one of you on where do you think we're going with this? Where do you think, do you think what's new in your world as well and projects as well? Just have a closing sentiment. We'll start with Peter, yeah, go for it. <laughs> drug, lo drug law reform is not only necessary, it's inevitable. To see the arms go up like I did tonight was an uplifting moment that will stay long in my memory. Thank you for coming here this evening. It's been a privilege to be able to speak to you. I hope we meet again. Round of applause for Peter. And now I put Danny and Aaron on the spot. It's like, who's well, going I was to just going to say that, and Peter stole it from me. Um, <laughs> but no, like Peter said, when, when it does happen, um, what a great achievement. And, and people like yourself can actually not have to worry about having to go and buy some cannabis and worry about getting arrested for it. And Aaron, where do you think we're going with this? Um, do you know what? Um, my main concern is just the lessening of the violence and the criminality. Um, in the work that I'm doing and the work that I've done previous to even TV, it's like my main, my main concern and my main uh, area of work has been working with young people. And um, I'm just seeing way too many uh, deaths and murders and it's getting younger and younger and younger. So, um, Peter, I am kind of with you. Uh, <laughs> and I hope that um, with that coming, and I think it will come into place, to be honest. I think it will become actioned. 
And I just hope that if it does, it really does try to, you know, well, not try to, I hope it really does affect the level of criminality and violence that we're seeing because too many young people are dying. Too many people in general are being murdered. And um, it's just something that I just don't want to see anymore. Um, and yeah, thank you so much um, for coming and listening to me. Um, thank you for having me as well. I appreciate it. But please do give a massive round of applause for our guest tonight. Please give it up for these guys. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you so much, Danny and Aaron. And a special thank you as well to Kobe, who is at the end there asking a question. Kobe's a friend of ours. He does the podcast Flix Watcher, which I've actually been on. And also he does Wire Strips, which is all about the wire. So go and listen to those. And now I've got to do the social media roll call, which I'm always rubbish at. So if you can find us at ukleap.org on our website, at UKLeap on Twitter, at UKLeap on Instagram, and Facebook at UKLeap.org, or whatever it is. Yeah, something like that. And also, one of me, you know the score by now, I've got to do the thank yous. Thank you so much to John Harris at the Distraction Peace Network. Go listen to his podcast at Dream Factory. It is magnificent. And, spoiler alert, I might be on it soon. Thank you so much to John, our Leap UK social media worker. Without him... Well, you wouldn't get to hear about us because, yeah, he does all the uh, all the magic stuff. Thank you so much. My name is Ad for the artwork you do for us. Without you, we wouldn't look half as pretty. Thank you so much to all the Distraction Pieces Network. Go listen to them. They're all fantastic chart toppers and award winning. And thank you so much, of course, to Scrooby's Pit because without him, we wouldn't be doing this. And while I'm on the subject, make sure you keep an eye out for Pod Bible, a new podcast magazine which is out, which I've got a small, very small hand in. I'm going to be covering social causes, podcasts with a social conscious, because, as you know from this podcast, it's not all about talking to celebrity guests and uh, having a good old laugh and a chat. Podcasts can actually widen out conversations. They can make sure that we're having these difficult chats and also just inspirational ones as well, because goodness knows there's a lot of that out there. So please keep an eye open for Pod Bible. It's going to be a print magazine and also digital, I believe. I'll keep you updated. Right. On that note, on that ramble, there's bound to be people I've forgotten. Oh, yes, there is. Our producers, Nicky and Tristan. <laughs> I'll do it every time, don't I? Thank you so much to them. Without them, we wouldn't have a podcast. Right, that's definitely it. I'm off now. Right, quick. Bye. Behind your barricades. Yeah, but how long can I stay? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.